Part four, chapter three of Life and Lillian Gish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Life and Lillian Gish by Albert Bigelow Payne. Part four, chapter three. The penalty of greatness. We have reached the point in this narrative where the writer's personal association with Miss Gish began. Though long an ardent admirer of her work on the screen, I had never seen her, nor made any attempt to do so. Once from France, I had written, urging her to make a picture of Joan of Arc. I know now that this was an old story to her. Many had offered the same suggestion. The idea had been one of her own dreams, engagements one thing after another had always interfered i treasured the two friendly letters she wrote me about it but the matter had gone no further now three years later back in america the papers told me that lillian gish was appearing in person and in picture in broadway productions vanya was playing to capacity and i do not like buying seats in advance something is so liable to happen then one june day i found myself on broadway in front of the rivoli facing the announcement lillian gish in one romantic night i learned that it was continuous and that there were seats a very little later in the cool dimness i sat watching alexandra and prince albert and the others and for the first time was hearing lillian speak I thought her more pleasing than ever, and her clear, perfectly enunciated speech was a revelation. I had feared that it might be too loud, too low, provincial, in some way disappointing. It was none of these things. It was pure and sweet and particularly intelligible. The microphone had recorded every syllable. I sat twice through the picture suffering through several program features until it came again once more outside i was sorry i had not remained longer for the sun was a hot glare sitting in fairyland with lillian was much more to my taste i drifted down broadway and by chance apparently turned into forty-eighth street all at once i stopped from a large frame on an easel several lillians looked out at me a moment later i realized that it was wednesday for a card at the top plainly stated matinee today i was at the entrance to the court theater some people were going in i wondered if i could get a seat midweek mid-june and a hot day i would try a very little later from a fairly good even a fairly warm angle i watched the curtain go up on a russian garden where kate mayhew was pouring tea and osgood perkins in semi-russian dress that is to say tall boots was marching up and down take a little tea my son and so the action starts and presently walter conley comes yawning in the weariest most lethargic ill-kempt man the stage has shown this season 
what a contrast it all is to the smart soigne picture around the corner voices outside and jean powers wearing long whiskers enters then a beam of pure light a radiance floats glides drifts across the stage to a long and prolonged salvo of applause and then it is not kate mayhew and perkins any more or walter conley and sweet joanna ruse but marina and astroff and uncle vanya and sonya figures in a sad amusing dream a dream that is real truth reflected as in a looking-glass and one no longer minds the heat or thinks of it or of anything except the figures that drift in and out and carry on the dream especially the one figure embodiment of the chekhov spirit that luminous being around which all the others revolve and bruise their wings the lines of astroff what does she think who is she what is inside her small blonde head she drifts about here mysterious fascinating us she's like a firefly that arrests our attention but gives no warmth nothing and by and by hours days maybe time no longer counts the futile human dream draws to its futile human ending and sonya's sweet voice is saying to uncle vanya bowed and heartbroken like herself you have never known what happiness was but wait uncle vanya wait we shall rest beyond the grave we shall say that we have suffered and wept and god will have pity on us and we shall be happy the wheat fields will be there and the blue cornflowers and the woods in spring and to the low music of telegen's guitar she adds and those who in this existence did not love us they'll love us they'll want us we shall rest the crowd flows out into the june sunshine the dream with it and all the way home poor uncle vanya and sonya one would like to comfort them and yes poor helena this was on wednesday as i have said i think it was on sunday that i sent a note to miss gish proposing to write of her i had given up such work as too arduous but it seemed to me that this might be a happy thing to do the story of one who had begun humbly and walked in beauty and humility to achievement making the world better and lovelier for her coming i suppose it was a week later that i received a characteristically simple reply she expressed willingness to cooperate in the proposed work modestly adding if i really deserve it whatever i could do in the way of help i should do most conscientiously one could rely upon that whatever she did was done in that way she was on the eve of sailing for france to visit eugene o'neill and his wife she would return the last of august then we could begin she returned as planned but it was not until september eleventh at her town home beekman terrace 
at the extreme end of fifty-first street new york city that we had our first meeting arriving i was shown into the living-room a handsome apartment one end lined with books a few moments early i stood looking out at the striking east river view when she entered i had of course expected to see a beautiful woman the woman i had known in the pictures and on the stage yet when she appeared in the room a slender figure simply gowned in black simply coiffed without makeup and stood in the drench of light reflected from the river i confess i caught my breath a little i could not understand it the actress in her home is so often disappointing her beauty is the beauty of her role of her lines her makeup of the lights she lays it aside with her part leaves it in the dressing-room yet it was all simple enough later lillian gish had never played the part of a character as lovely as herself as her own spirit she led the way to the little room overlooking the river the den with which we have become familiar also a place of books no word of an agreement much less of a contract was mentioned between us in my letter i had suggested that the work be done without the idea of gain if profit accrued it could be shared i think neither of us remembered this then or afterwards i thought the speaking quality of her voice even more musical than when i heard it in the play and the picture when i mentioned this she spoke of the training she had received from morel what i found still more notable was her refinement of diction of middle west birth and early association it seemed to me remarkable that she had been able to eliminate practically every trace of sectional usage no easy matter once it is ingrained i noticed that she pronounced bean rather in the english way though not conspicuously so it seemed to me that this woman whose childhood and girlhood had largely been spent amid surroundings where purity of diction was indifferently regarded spoke about the most satisfactory english i had ever heard i mentioned vanya her utter identification with the part of helena and i asked when one has played many parts is one ever uncertain as to one's own personality no the actor has a picture in his mind that he hopes to paint on the screen or present to the audience i think he does not confuse it with his own personality of course i speak only for myself and a little later i have always tried to reach a high spot perfection sometimes i seem almost to reach it but then it was never a personal thing a mood a moment in the play acting in itself is not an art it is merely repeating lines and gestures more or less in the manner of the director but to give these things a special quality to make them produce a particular mood in the mind of the hearer to stir something deep down in the heart of the audience something not measurable by any physical law something fourth-dimensional that is art 
and may become a very great and sublime one i think it was not altogether what she was saying i think it was as much her manner her look her voice but as i listened the feeling grew upon me that she was not quite of the familiar world i saw what cabell had meant and hergsheimer with your voice i said now that the pictures speak gently she dissented i do not care for the talking pictures they seem to me incongruous even the lip movements to give the effect of speech seem to me all wrong the silent film at its best was a beautiful thing and lovely effects could be produced with it to make the pictures speak seems to me a mistake oh i'm sorry i made the romantic night charlie chaplin's picture she went on i want it to be a success he is one of the few who can do what he likes mary can do that too and douglas none of the rest of us yes the people want the talking pictures now but maybe there will be a change there should be music of course the pictures need music griffith in his way is an artist too much of an artist ever to be rich he has shown the others the way to fortune he has not travelled it himself nothing satisfied him but the best completeness he did not regard cost sometimes in the cause of completeness he overdid in intolerance for example yes i have written from time to time about the pictures not long ago i did an article for oliver sailor's book revolt in the arts and i did one on motion pictures for the encyclopedia britannica they sent me a check which i have kept as a souvenir it was for twenty one dollars she told me some of the happenings of her childhood half pathetic amusing things over which one hardly knew whether to laugh or weep i was not surprised to find that she had a happy delicate sense of humor i have yet to meet any one without it she spoke of mark twain of her love for his work especially huckleberry finn later of mickey mouse i could see an entire show of nothing else she spoke of her mother her early hardships her final break all those years of struggle and privation had to be paid for her capital of health and strength were exhausted utterly her face in the fading light reflected from the river took on an added unreality this is my favorite part of the day she said and it came to me that her remark and the manner of it removed her a step farther from her surroundings that she was in fact of arcady end of part 4 chapter 3 recording by john brandon